This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Coast Guard recently joined scores of other agencies in appointing a chief data officer. More than that, in August, it set up what it calls a technical domain centered on data and how to handle it. For details, we turn to that CDO, Captain Brian Erickson. Captain Erickson, good to have you on. Hey, thanks, Tom, for having me. All right, so let's talk about the office first, the Office of Data and Analytics. Is this set up just because everyone else has one and you figured you should have one too, or do you have some real goals for it? Listen, some companies, I think, set up their office of a chief data officer or an office of data analytics for defensive reasons. But the way I look at it, the Coast Guard, you know, really set this up for offensive reasons. So we recognized back in August of 2020 that the organization needed to become more data driven. And so at the time, the vice commandant signed a charter to charter a data readiness task force. And so for two years, the data readiness task force looked at lines of effort within the organization such as workforce development, data quality, the technical way ahead, data governance, and tried to figure out how we could, as an organization, change culture, processes, people, and technology to become more data-driven. And so the charter had said, you will stand down in two years, and right on time, September 1st, we sunset the Data Readiness Task Force, and we stood up the Office of Data and Analytics. And I'm really proud of the team to have completed that on time. And we are just getting started in accelerating the advancement of data and artificial intelligence within the organization to really increase business efficiency and mission capability. And where do you begin here? I mean, now there's an office that has a stated mission. What do you do first? Along the way, along that journey, we knew that we needed to have a data strategy. So we started out with a data strategy. Then we built a cloud adoption strategy. We knew that the technology had to move and advance in a different way. We determined that we needed a governance structure, some sort of a structure who could focus specifically looking through the lens of data. So we stood up a data governance board that is chaired by my bosses, two flag officers that are high up in the organization within our deputy commandant for operations and our deputy commandant for mission support. Then we stood up a kind of a subcommittee called the Data Governance Committee, and that is really the captain, kind of senior civilian level, made up of senior civilian level personnel from across the organization, all of the business lines within the organization, and they're able to identify the data challenges and, and tee that up for the Data Governance Board to make recommendations and decisions on. Everybody had to be talking on the same language, so we made the first data lexicon so that we all were saying the same things. We, we knew what the terms meant. And then along the way, we needed a integrated data environment. While we were working this, we were in the middle of a COVID pandemic. And so we had contracted with some vendors to start up a couple of use cases specifically focused around managing COVID distribution of vaccinations first for the organization, but then also the vaccination status of our members. So we really got a chance to pilot integrated data and learn what we needed to do. And now we're moving forward with standing up another environment like that. I was going to say you need to have almost a specific use case to kind of focus things so that you gather the right data so that you have something to have governance over and so on. Because if you think about, say, preventative maintenance of vessels, that's a whole different problem and different bunch of data than something workforce related or something logistics related. Fair to say? 
Absolutely, Tom. We have so many different use cases that apply across all of our domains. So one way to break down the problem set is to identify individual domains, and we call them data domains. And luckily, within the Coast Guard, we can line those up with the business unit owner. So if you can imagine the CFO, the chief financial officer is a business unit. The, the chief engineer is a business unit under engineering and logistics. The deputy commandant for operations, that's the business unit for operations. We line the use cases up underneath these business units, and then often you'll find that the data sources are very similar for conducting use cases within those particular domains. You want to have expertise such as data analysts, data stewards working within those domains because they know what the data looks like you know, when it goes in, and they know what the data looks like when it comes out of an analytic. And so a lot of times when we have these use cases, we will go back to the product owner, the business owner who wants to conduct this use case and say, what questions specifically are you trying to answer? Then we will try to figure out what analytic, whether it's a classical analytic or if you need to apply some artificial intelligence or something like that, some sort of advanced analytic. And that's kind of how we approach different use cases. We're speaking with Captain Brian Erickson. He's Chief Data Officer of the Coast Guard. And as the Chief Data Officer, then what do you find most challenging? Is getting all the cats in order or establishing what data you have and making sure that it's where it needs to be? Yeah, Tom, I think that a lot of people would say that you just need to buy some IT, some tech, and all of your problems are solved. But that's not exactly what we're seeing. What we see is that the biggest steps forward for us are going to be in people and culture. The organization's been around since 1790. We have a certain way of doing business. You know, we have partner agencies that we work with and priorities of, you know, one agency may not be the exact priority of another agency. So often we find that there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of partnership activity that needs to occur in order for us to move forward with elements of data management, such as data sharing, data quality, you know, data stewardship and ownership. So I would say that those are the areas that we are focusing on the most to change within the organization. And what is your data strategy? There must be, I mean, you do have to have some technical base in order to have the data somewhere. And is that just simply in a logical arrangement? It lays where it lays for applications now, or is there a separate data store that you are replicating data sets in for purposes of analytics? Yeah, so on the technical side, we have what we would call source systems that are siloed systems around the organization or with partner agencies for which data sets exist that we want to have access to. As we bring in these data sets to a central location that we call an integrated data environment, you can start to relate these different data sets through you know, relational databases and unique identifiers to where as you combine the data sets, you can gather insights that you were never able to before. And so I think the strategy from a technology perspective is to have a technology stack that allows a workspace that allows analysts to have a sandbox to innovate within, to find insights at speed. You know, so we, we, we want to be able to have data almost in, a, in like, you, like you had pointed out, a marketplace view 
to where data analysts can grab the data sets that they want, bring them into their exploratory environment, provide insights for mission managers and leaders, and then rinse and repeat. And that really doesn't exist within the organization right now, and that's one of the things that we're working on standing up. About just a couple of months ago, we awarded a contract for our first ever Coast Guard data catalog and data governance tool set, and this will allow us to provide visibility of critical data sets within the organization like we have never had before, and also share those data sets with partners within DHS and DOD. And as you move into 2023, and this gets funded, presumably we'll have appropriations at some point, what are your metrics for, say, the first year success? How will you know that the whole endeavor is bringing what the Coast Guard hopes it'll bring? We want to have very specific metrics for measures of success. Right now, our metric of success is onboarding users within this environment that I'm describing, the ability to provide capability from our integrated data environment that we're standing up. As an example, we are working on an aviation readiness tool that would allow aviation operators at air stations, pilots and aircrew to better understand their individual proficiency, understand the proficiency of the unit as a whole, and provide kind of a visualization for uh, senior leaders to get a sense on what is our readiness of our personnel right now. As that expands, it will expand across other units such as small boats, cutters, and move across the Coast Guard so that we can get a sense of all of our readiness. We want to have a full 360-degree view of our people. And we have the data available. We just don't have it integrated in an area where we can start to show those metrics. So I would say the metrics that we really want is to be able to describe our people and view our people within the organization. It's really at the descriptive analytics level right now. Sure. I guess nothing can really happen until you identify the talent base to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And for a long time, and as long as I have been in, we recognize that data analytics or operations research is important for the organization. The Coast Guard Academy has a major, which is an operations research data analytics major. And that has been around since I have been in the organization since I went to the academy. But we need more than that. We need to train on modern tool sets. We need to train on modern practices. Following in line with DOD, we are looking at the innovation roles such as artificial intelligence practitioner, data engineer, data scientist. And we are looking to see where in the organization we need to place those personnel in order to extract the maximum amount of value from our data. So you've got a lot of work to do. There is opportunity everywhere, uh, Tom, and uh, I've got a great team, and again, we are hiring right now. There is a lot of opportunity to serve within the Coast Guard, and one of those areas right now is this innovative office of the Office of Data Analytics. We are hiring data scientists, data governance experts, as well as um, technology managers, so let your friends know. All right, fair enough. Captain Brian Erickson is the Chief Data Officer of the Coast Guard. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks a lot, Tom, for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Take the Federal Drive wherever you go. Subscribe to the podcast version. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. 
Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care, and and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the stage or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from from their last competition, and they're so committed, and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs and 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 I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that. Uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. 
uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so, uh, joyful and, and uh, yeah, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but, uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded, you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age. It's, it's, uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or, uh, year old, uh, folks, uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the, founding uh, of our organization and what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.